Morning, Northside. Good morning. Well, as you can see, Pastor Aaron is not with us, but please be thinking about him and his family. Wow. Um, but this is usually the time, and I know Brother Curtis has already told you to sit down, but please stand up and take time to greet one another. All right, folks. All right. Let's get to our seats. <laughs> All right, folks. Let's grab our seats and sit down. I just want to spend some time <clears throat> spend some time in the word please pray with me as we reflect on Romans chapter 10 Heavenly Father we are so grateful to gather together like this uh, you have saved us from our sins, and we are so grateful. We are able to sing these wonderful songs, Lord. We're able to come under the teaching of your word. We're able to gather together. We're able to pray together, Lord. Bless this time. Lord, as your word says, well, what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. Because if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And we're so grateful for that. We praise your name. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And Lord, we pray that, Lord, we will not be put to shame by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand once again as we sing. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. 
Thankful all 
be seated.
Parents, this is the time for Children's Church. Our kids go. But if you are able, please turn in your copy of God's Word to Genesis 22. sake of the way the sermon will flow, I'm going to read the first eight verses, and then every point will be the next section of my reading. So please, if you can, stand for the reading of God's Word, Genesis 22, verse 1 through 8. I'm reading from the ESV. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, I, and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. I've titled this sermon, Trials Reveal What's in Our Heart. I don't know how many of you can say amen to that. How do you know what is happening in your heart as a Christian? Is it a feeling? Is it people's reactions? How do you know what's going on in there? Is it your parents that tell you? Your Mom and dad, your wife, your husband. How can we measure our affections for God? Arguably one of the most dependable ways to guide what is going on in our hearts is with trials. I mean, there's nothing like a day when nothing goes according to plan. I heard a a story this morning Uh, of a garage door that wouldn't help out. So provided for a very smooth morning. You know, nothing presents like a day like that to really reveal what's going on on the inside. When things that we love are threatened, what we worship, 
will be revealed. In the heat of a battle, our actions reveal our affections. Our response to God during trials exposes our allegiances. Just like that. I once heard a pastor tell a story of having dinner with John Piper. And the pastor was telling John Piper about his cancer diagnosis. And how hard it had been on him. Now this is the pastor speaking to John Piper about his cancer diagnosis. And John Piper said to him and looked at him and said, Suffering is a good hermeneutic. He asked the question, what does he mean? He meant that suffering helps us interpret our lives. That suffering helps us see what's really true about us. Our text this morning, Genesis 22, teaches us about trials. Trials reveal our treasures. God tests Abraham to reveal what's in his heart, to see whether his relationship with God is more important to him than the blessings God had given him. You turn the page over, what had God just given him? Isaac. God must be Abraham's greatest treasure. Not Isaac. The giver must be loved more than the gift. The main point of this chapter is that Abraham's faith in God creates obedience to God during a test from God. So three points, as all Baptists do. Verse 1 through 8 is God's test. Verses 9 through 14 is Abraham's faith, and verses 15 through 22 is God's love. God's test. Now, why? why? Why does God test his people? Taking tests is not what most of us enjoy. I mean, exam weeks is probably not your favorite week of the year. How many of you have agonized through high school about that test week, about the SATs, the ACTs? Maybe some of you were blessed with stressing about the MCATs, stressed about going through getting your driver's license. Tests are a part of life. They can be difficult and painful, but they're also an opportunity for us to prove ourselves, to show what we know, to demonstrate our capability. So God gives his people tests throughout the Bible, not because he's mean, not because he's vindictive, but so we can prove ourselves, so we can show what we're really like. So if you go to, I don't want you to turn there, but if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and this is Moses speaking, in a sense, he's writing this, and he's speaking about God's people. In chapter 8, verse 2, he says, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And then he goes into verse 16 of that same chapter, to do you good in the end. So why does God test his people? To see what is in their hearts. To see whether they'll obey or not. To humble them. And to ultimately do them good. 
The tests aren't because God is a cruel teacher, but because God wants to give us an opportunity to demonstrate what is really there. If you are truly His, you'll demonstrate it. Tests show us what we're really like. So many of you will agree, suffering is a good hermeneutic. But you see, God demands all of us. He demands it all. The test that God gives Abraham in verse 2 is gut-wrenching. If you read this, and I encourage you to read it with fresh eyes, it is a gut-wrenching test. This test means sacrificing the son that Abraham had been waiting for for a long time. The, the test touches the foundation of Abraham's life. I mean, notice how the Lord describes Isaac. He, couldn't, he could have just said, take Isaac. But the Lord is showing him and us that the preciousness of Isaac to Abraham is what is precipitating this test. In his book, The Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller says this about this specific passage. This was the ultimate test. Isaac was now everything to Abraham. Abraham's affection had become adoration. God was not saying that you cannot love your son, but you must not turn a loved one into a counterfeit God. Genesis 12, where we see the first call of Abraham, and Genesis 22, where we are, have parallels to this. And I want you to pay careful attention to this. Both calls move from a very general call to a very specific. In, in chapter 12, verse 1, Abraham was called to walk away from the past. Everything he knew. And here in chapter 22, he's called to walk away from his future. The Lord has asked Abraham to put his whole life in his hands. God demands all. Following God has always required total devotion. And I want to encourage you with that. God requires your, my, total devotion. You know this verse very well. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Luke chapter 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. We even hear of it in Paul. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Total devotion. So let's, let's, let's bring this home to each of us here. What hard thing is the Lord asking you to do? Perhaps it's a dating relationship with someone who's not on the same page spiritually. Maybe there's someone in your life who's hurt you very deeply and you don't want to let go of that hurt because if you let go of it, you feel like you're letting them off the hook. Maybe there's someone you need to forgive. 
but you feel like if you grant them that forgiveness, it'll be saying it's no big deal, and you're holding on to bitterness. Maybe. Maybe you have an outward appearance of following Christ, but you're really struggling with whether God and the gospel are real. It's not something you can touch in your mind. You're too afraid to talk to anyone about it. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you're dealing with the confusion about your sexuality. And everything in the world is telling you to do just what feels right and to go with that. But you know what God says. You know what is quite clear in God's word. Or maybe there's a job offer that will provide lots of money. Lots of incentive, but you know it'll be bad for your family. And you'll be in a situation where you'll have to compromise. What kind of a test are you facing? In verse 3, the Lord asked Abraham to do something unimaginably difficult. And what does Abraham do? He responds immediately. Not delayed. Not impulsive, immediately. Abraham moved quickly to do the thing God asked him to do. In verse 4, it says that it took three days for them to get to Mount Moriah. And this is important. Alright? We, we tend to skip over this because three days, fine. But it underscores the resolve of Abraham's faith. This isn't done impulsively when he makes this decision. He had lots of time to consider God's command. Plenty of time to turn back, but he kept going forward in obedience to God. I mean, the text doesn't tell us what he's thinking, what he's feeling. But as a parent, you can only imagine. I mean, even the phrase, on the third day, might be ringing bells. And it's found in many places in the Old Testament. Israel is called to Mount Sinai on the third day. Joshua leads Israel across the Jordan River on the third day. King Hezekiah is healed from the sickness, from his sickness on the third day. Esther asks the people to pray and fast, and then on the third day, she goes before the king to intercede for the life of the people. Paul says Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. Not in fulfillment for this text, but in accordance with the pattern of events that took place in Scripture. Jesus fulfills prophecies and patterns. And there's even more to Jesus' resurrection in this specific text. Notice the plural in verse 5, if you read it. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. We will come again to you. Because he believes that not even death can stop God's promises. God had reminded him in chapter 21, verse 12, that through Isaac, through Isaac, the inheritance would come. The promises would be yes and amen. He's thinking Isaac must inherit the promises. So something has got to happen to bring him out of this death that's coming. 
This is called a resurrection logic happening in Abraham's brain. Even the writer of Hebrews spells it out very clear in Hebrews 11, verse 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Figuratively, he did. Abraham had faith that God could raise Isaac from the dead. This kind of faith is the only explanation of why Abraham could go through this. It's why many of you come to church. It's why many of you pray. It's why many of you read the scriptures. You have this resurrection logic. Nowhere does the New Testament connect the sacrifice of Isaac to Jesus' death on the cross, but it does clearly connect it to resurrection. Genesis 22 is teaching us that the kind of faith that saves is resurrection faith. The verse 6 says Isaac had to carry the wood that he would die on. In verse 7, Isaac breaks the silence with a question. He asks his father, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? So we get to the second point. Abraham's faith in action. Let me read verse 9 through 14. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, saying, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. This this part of the story where Abraham's faith is in action. The camera zooms in. The action slows down. There's no talking. Abraham is all about business here. The conjunction and is used seven times in these verses to slow the reader down so that we'll stop and we'll ponder each movement. Because generally when we're reading a story like this, we just want to get through each moment. But no, we need to slow down. This is dramatic storytelling at its finest. It shows us what Abraham is doing step by step, building up the anticipation. And notice that Isaac doesn't say anything. He didn't object, he didn't complain when Abraham told him that God would provide the lamb. And here, he's silent as what's about to happen. And so to many people, this is unmistakable. It should echo Isaiah 53, verse 7. The Lord's servant will open not his mouth, but like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. 
And then we get to verse 11. Isaac was saved at, this, at the last moment when the Lord inter- intervened. The Lord tells Abraham in verse 12 that he has passed the test. When he says, now I know, that doesn't mean that God is learning something new. The test was for Abraham, for us, not for God. God tested Abraham to show him the genuineness of his faith, authenticity of his faith. And we know that God was testing his faith because he says, now I know that you fear God. And this word for fear is specifically used for truly trusting, a deep, deep trust. And those who fear the Lord come to know him in such a way that they'll do whatever he asks because they deeply trust him and believe that he is good. Fearing the Lord means trusting the Lord. But it goes further. It means obeying the Lord. You cannot separate those three things. Fearing the Lord means trusting the Lord, means obeying the Lord. In his book, Rejoice and Tremble, Michael Reeves says, the fear of the Lord does not keep believers from sin in the sense that it makes us merely alter our behavior for fear of punishment. Rather, it brings us to adore God, to loathe sin, and long to be truly and thoroughly like Him. So verse 13 says that Abraham, at this point in the story, sees the substitute. He saw a ram behind him, caught in a thicket by his horns. The Lord provided a substitute long before Abraham knew he would need one. The way someone becomes a Christian is when God opens the eyes of their heart to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen? You see, when God causes us, because of the gospel, to see our sinfulness, to see our need for a Savior, to see Jesus as that all-sufficient Savior who substituted Himself for us on the cross, taking our guilt so that we can be forgiven and then, and then rising from the dead on the third day to prove that he is God, then we can't help but give our lives to him. And if you're sitting here and you don't know that faith, if you don't know that Christ, believe and be saved. May God give any here today who aren't yet trusting in Christ eyes to see the glory of the substitute who was provided for you long before you knew you needed one. And verse 14 says that Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. This mount, this land of Moriah, the location is significant. Because it's where David later built an altar and offered burnt offerings that turned away God's wrath, saved the people of Israel. This is where Solomon would later build the temple, where Israel offered their sacrifices to the Lord. All this creates a pattern of God saving his people 
through wrath-bearing sacrifice. And so let's go to the last point. Verse 15 through 22. Last point is God's love. And the angel of the Lord, in verse 15, called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in the offspring in in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice so abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to beersheba and abraham lived at beersheba now after these things it was told to abraham Behold, Milcah also bore children to your brother Nahor, Uz, his firstborn, Buz, his brother, Bumul, the father of Aram, Hesed, Hazor, Pildash, Jedlaf, and Bethul. Verse 23, Bethul fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Ramah, bore Teba, Baham, Tehash, and Makkah. The last five verses are a genealogy to Abraham's brother, Nahor. It's given to introduce us to another character, if you carry on reading, in Rebekah. The promised son, Isaac, has just been delivered from death. But he'll need a wife to perpetuate that promise. Rebekah will be that wife. In verses 16 through 18, the Lord confirms his promise to Abraham with a mighty oath. What does he swear by? I don't know how many of you, when you're about to make a promise, swear on your own name. The oath is God's way of guaranteeing his promises. God swears on his own name to show Abraham how serious he is. You see, we may go to a courtroom and put our hand on the Bible. See, God was already telling the truth, but because we have a hard time of believing the truth, he adds this oath. And he did this because he loves Abraham. The oath is to encourage him. When we read back, it's to encourage us. And when we're going through dark moments of our testing, that he loves you. As the hymn, the well-known hymn, My Hope is Built on Nothingness, it says, his oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope. And stay. The main thing to notice here is why God gave Abraham this assurance. Verse 16, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. Verse 18, because you have obeyed my voice. God affirmed his promises in responses to Abraham's obedience. The Lord isn't saying that because you obeyed, therefore I will bless you. 
The ground of God's blessing is always free mercy. But Abraham's willingness to choose the giver over the gift is what guarantees this covenant blessing. You see, Abraham's obedience proved his faith. It was the fruit of his faith. His obedience gave him the confidence that he really was, he really was the recipient of God's covenant blessing. You see, when we're breaking God's commands, living for ourselves, not for God, the question of whether you are God's child should come to mind when you're disobeying. Why? Because our obedience to God increases our assurance that we belong to Him. See, Abraham's response to the commands of God proves that he's in covenant with God. It proves that he trusts God. How do I know this? James chapter 2, verse 20 and 22, it says... Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Abraham's works in obedience to God proved his faith. He passed God's test because he truly feared the Lord. But do you fear the Lord? God tested Abraham to reveal what is in his heart. See, the gift, as I said at the beginning, the gift must be loved more. The giver must be loved more than the gift. Genesis 22 leads us to consider whether we love God or his gifts. And so I ask you that. Do you love the giver more than the gifts? Our response to the commands of God reveal whether we are in covenant with God or not. The trouble is that our lives are littered with disobediences. Of every variety, every day. The students and I are going through Right now, in the catechisms, we're going through the Ten Commandments. And every week, I ask them to start from the beginning to where we are at. And that first of the Ten Commandments is so important. So important. I guarantee you, if I pointed at some, they would be able to recite it. And that's great. But this is such an important command. You shall have no other God's before me. But don't we put thousands of things before God? We may put our business, our money, family, friends, our future, motherhood, our job performance, our education, our comforts, maybe even our control. We look to these counterfeit gods to give us hope, to give us security, to give us identity instead of God. 
See, God is holy. And He created us for Him. For Him. But we choose to live for ourselves and choose our ways over His ways. Where the Scriptures are clear, His ways are higher than our ways. You see, we often prefer things God created over God himself. So how is God supposed to resolve the fact that we are sinful? Well, through a sacrifice on a mountain. There was another son who walked with his father up a mountain. He knew what the plan was, and yet he went anyways, walking bravely and silently to whatever God had for him. He didn't try to sneak away. He didn't argue or complain. He resolved to do exactly what God asked him to do. Why? Praise God for this, because his father had a people that needed saving from their sins. And the only way to save them was through a substitute who would do for them what they couldn't do for themselves. We needed a substitute because we're by nature guilty of our sins. But in mercy, God chose to send Jesus, amen, our substitute as the sacrifice needed to pay for our sins. God's only Son, the Son whom He loves, Jesus, carried the wooden instrument of His death up the mountain. He was the Lamb God provided for the sins of the world. He was bound put on that wood. But unlike Isaac, there was nobody to call him off. He died for your sake. But the cross wasn't the end of the journey. He and his father walked up the mountain, so to speak, and they both returned together. Jesus went through death and came out the other side alive and victorious so that everyone, friends, and this is the verse that I read earlier, everyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we lower our hearts before you and we confess that we have too often forgotten that we are yours. Lord, we go our own way. We want to do our own thing. And sometimes we carry on our lives as if there was no God and we fall short of being a credible witness to you, for you. For these things, Lord, we ask you to forgive us. We ask you for strength, Lord, that we may live in obedience to you. Lord, give us clear minds and open our hearts so that we may witness to the world, not about us, but about you. Lord, remind us to be who you would have us be, regardless of what we are doing or who we are. Hold us, hold us closely to you. Lord, build our relationship with you and with those you have given us on this earth. And Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for Northside, Lord, that you have brought together. We thank you for our pastor. 
We pray that you would give them rest, recuperation. Lord, help them to come back strong and eager, Lord. I pray that you would bless them as they're away. But Lord, bless our church. Enable us all to gather together, Lord, even if it's around the lunch table today, even if it's with family, even if you're listening and you're not feeling well. Lord, gather us together because you have called us together. And we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. I've got lots of announcements, so bear with me. If you're, I missed this earlier, but if you're visiting here for the first time, welcome. (laughs) If you have an opportunity, you can either have a a connect card, you can get in front, fill out your details, and just introduce yourself, um, or you can, on your bulletin, there's a QR code, just to let us know who you are, and just so that we can connect with you. I'm not the senior pastor here, for those of you that didn't know. Our pastor is away on vacation. Uh, church, please pray for them, uh, that they would have a, a good time away. Uh, tonight, there are no evening activities, and this Wednesday, there are no activities due to winter break. 
So please keep that in mind for those that are not feeling well or just didn't hear. Please spread the word. Uh, parents of young children that were interested in CentraKid, today is that deadline date. So if you want your kid to go to CentraKid, please either let myself know or call the office tomorrow the latest um, so that we can put it in the system. Now, I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it, Ms. Robert. Next week, next week, we celebrate Curtis and Ann. And so I would, yeah. Now with that celebrating spirit, Ms. Robin wanted me to remind you that if you promise to bring something, please bring it. <laughs> and please be ready to celebrate. Um, you might see tables and, and um, lunch things set out. Unfortunately, if senior doesn't come close to your name, and I don't mean senior high, you're uninvited, but seniors, please, you're invited to join. It's their Super Bowl Sunday um, that they're celebrating. If gathering tickets, yeah, you heard that Super Bowl thing? Yeah, there you go. That's right. Uh, there's a women's, a ladies' conference called the If Gathering. For those of you that haven't seen, there's signs outside on the Connect board. Uh, Miss Kim Fortner is going to be out just outside these doors to your left, and she'll be taking, she'll be, if you want to buy tickets for that, she'll be right out here, you can buy tickets. If you plan on attending, you need to buy a ticket. Um, so she'll be right out there. Um, I think that's it. Yes, March 5th. Right, why would I forget that? March 5th. That's right. Fri uh, friends. I don't know if any of you could remember the day you went to a youth camp and what an impact it had on you growing up, if it did. Now, these, these camps are not uh, inexpensive. They are quite costly. And we as a church would like to contribute to making sure that each student is able to go, no matter what the cost. And one of these are going to be helped through this fundraiser on March 5th. There's a barbecue fundraiser right out there on the Connect board. There's a sign-up sheet to help us to kind of estimate what we need to buy and how much. Uh, Mr. David's already like quadrupled that amount, just in case. So if you are able to come, and if you haven't tasted any of David Mazden's food and other things, please come. Please sign up for that. There you go. <laughs> Mr. Philip is our Deacon of the Week. Please close us off. a little supplemental note for the visitors. Uh, know that we are exceedingly glad that you've chosen to join us in the worship of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, in addition to the Connect cards out there, if you're tech savvy, there is a QR code in the bottom of your bulletin. You can hit that with your smartphone. You can fill that out at any time. Uh, so thank you for joining us today. Uh, if you will, please join me in prayer. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to, to gather. Thank you for the word that you've given Gary to bring us, uh, that we can remember that that sacrifice was made for us and that God is there. Jesus is there available to us and he's there no matter how badly we falter, no matter how badly we fail. And that's such a wonderful assurance, Lord. Uh, Lord, be with us as we disperse. Uh, help keep us safe and about your business and the business of serving one another. Uh, 
Uh, Lord, please bless the food that when the seniors gather together and bless the hands that prepare it, Lord, uh, that they would have a good time of fellowship and, and just enjoy one another's company. Uh, help to keep us safe and about your business until we join together again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>